0: This morning we're going to be reading from Scripture from Psalm 119. 119 we'll be reading verses 97 to 112. It's a reflection on the law of God and how good it is. Listen to these words. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I've sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I'm severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offerings of praise of Lord and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever for they are ever for they are the joy of my heart I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end Let's pray now for God to help us to understand his will and his word let's pray together Lord we making a simple prayer but a very powerful prayer that as we do come to your word, that you would conform us to the image of your very own Son, Jesus Christ. We know that this is your work and your work alone, and you're going to do it right now through your Spirit and your word as you have promised. And we rest on that promise. We pray that you would do these things because of our Savior. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Morning. Our sermon is coming from Colossians chapter 1 where we're going to be reading Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 through 14. We're a few weeks into our sermon series on Colossians. And we've been looking in the past few weeks about Paul's thanksgiving. And today we're going to kind of turn a little bit of a corner and we're going to start looking at Paul's prayer. That's actually why we we're just singing that hymn a reminder of the freedom that we have in prayer and the love that we have in Jesus Christ. So this morning we'll be reading verses 9 through 14. Listen to these words. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, Have you ever had a moment when you don't quite know what to pray about? I think we all hit those points. When you know, for instance, you should pray for somebody. I want to pray for person X, but I don't know what to say. I don't know what to ask for. If that is you, then this passage here is definitely for you. Or sometimes we find ourselves, we start praying for some of the same things over and over again. They might be good things, for instance, health, or success in a job, or relationships to be restored. But have you ever had that kind of nagging thought in the back of your mind, there should be more, especially more spiritual things that I can be praying for, spiritual needs that this person or even that myself have? Then this passage is also for you. And maybe some of us, hey, our prayer life is actually going pretty well. We feel like we have a deep fellowship with God and we're lifting up our brothers and sisters in prayer. This passage is still for you because each one of us really does need to grow in prayer for one another. One of the beauties of this passage here is we actually see Paul and we see his prayer priorities. What does Paul value as he prays for the Colossians? And in one sense, what we're seeing here is very, very basic. Paul is essentially praying for the Colossians to spiritually grow. That's the basis of his prayer for them. And as he prays for that very simple-sounding thing, he's actually getting at the heart of the Christian life. Because as we look at his prayers, we see that he is praying for what we need to be as believers. What does the Christian life even look like? And then, how can we even live that way? And then, why are we even in the Christian life to begin with? Paul is really homing in on these basic truths in his prayers. That's what we need to be doing as well, as we look at these prayers of Paul. These are teaching us how to pray for some of the very basic needs of the Christian life. The main idea in this passage is this. Paul prays, that God would cause the Colossians to understand his will and to live in light of it. So, Paul's praying that the Colossians would understand God's will and then live in light of that will. I'm going to lay out the very basic structure of the passage because that's going to help you understand where we're going. Paul's basic prayers in verses 9 through 10. And he prays that the Colossians would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, and that this knowledge would then lead to a a life that's worthy of the Lord. Then the obvious question is, what does that look like, Paul? And that's where he turns to next in verses 10 to 14, because Paul lays out four basic distinctives of this kind of life that's pleasing to the Lord. We're bearing fruit, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with God's power, and giving thanks for salvation don't worry if you didn't write them all down. We'll get there. I'm just giving you the basic outline. And I I know even as I say that, that there's a lot in this passage, but we're going to walk through it together and really get at some of these riches. And here's how we're going to do it. We're just going to follow what Paul does here. We're going to first look at his basic prayer to know God's will and to live God's way. That's in verses 9 through 10. And then we're going to look at those four distinctives, the what of living God's way in verse 10 the how of living God's way in verse 11, and the why of living God's way in verses 12 to 14. So first, let's start with Paul's basic prayer in verses 9 through 10. This is his prayer, that they would know God's will and live in God's way. Remember, Paul has just finished giving thanks for the power of the gospel at work in the Colossians. And now in verse 9, Paul tells the Colossians about his prayers for them. And even before Paul tells them what he is praying for, he starts by telling them how he's praying. He says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Paul's emphasizing that he and his companions are consistently praying for the Colossians. That's something that's always on his mind and in his heart and actually in his mouth The good of the Colossians. And his prayer for them, this consistent prayer for them, is that they would grow. More specifically, Paul prays that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Basically, what Paul is saying there is that he is praying that the Colossians would know what God wants, that they would actually know what God's will for them really is. Now, when we talk about God's will, Sometimes in the Bible, God's will means his, his plan for everything, right? You can see that meaning if you look at, for instance, Ephesians chapter 1. So many times through that passage, you get verse 11 is a great example. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. But sometimes when the Bible is using God's will, that phrase, it's it's more specific it means what God wants us to do. We do the will of God when we obey him. Think about what Jesus says. What does he say? My food is to do the will of my father, to obey him. In the book of Hebrews also, you see again and again this power of God at work in you so that you can actually do God's will, to obey God. And we need to know both of those kind of aspects of God's will, right? We need to know His plan, and we also need to know His commands. Both of those things will have a direct impact on our life. But here in Colossians 1, Paul seems to be focusing on that kind of second definition, that knowing God's commands. But even when I say that, that we need to know God's commands, that's what Paul's praying for. Paul, that that prayer is actually... Very, very big. Knowing God's commands is not as simple as just memorizing the Ten Commandments. No. God's commands are really a reflection of who He is. You can take the example of do not murder. We'll take a Ten Commandment there. Do not murder means don't kill, don't hurt, don't even be sinfully angry. It's negative. Don't do this thing. And on the positive side, right, you need to be sacrificing yourself For the good of others. That's actually starting to see the depth of even just one commandment. But that commandment is that deep because it is a reflection of the character of God. Why should you not murder? Why should you seek the good of others? Because God is the author of life. So actually, knowing God's will, knowing God's commands, is actually knowing God's character. So knowing God's commands means knowing his character. And knowing God's commands also means knowing God's Son. Knowing God's commands points us to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ, time and time again, he tells us, he shows us the Father. That's not just by what he teaches us about the Father, though that's true. It's also that he is the only one who has ever perfectly known and obeyed God's commands. So, we actually know what it means to be holy, holy as God himself actually is, as we look at Jesus Christ. And remember what the goal is. Remember what God's goal is for us. It is actually to conform us to the image of his Son, Jesus Christ. In a sense, we are being made to look the closest a human being can look to God the Father. That is what knowing God's will and actually doing God's will means. So then knowing God's will is actually a whole lot bigger than we might think it is. And notice also that Paul doesn't want us to just have a a little knowledge of what God wants for us. He prays that believers would be filled, filled with the knowledge of God's will. He means that we would be characterized by knowing God's will. If you cut us, we would bleed God's commands and God's character. But Paul goes on to make the point that we actually need special help to be able to know God's will. We need the work of the Holy Spirit. It says, That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, then listen, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In this context, I think the word spiritual really needs to be capitalized because Paul is talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, remember, part of what His work is in our life is to increase us in our knowledge, to increase us in our wisdom. Hear what Jesus Himself says about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 15. He says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things... And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So part of what the Spirit is doing in our life is teaching us, increasing our understanding, giving us wisdom to actually see God's will and know what it means. And he works, God's Spirit works through God's Word. The Word really is where we are going to find God's will for us. And the Spirit then helps us to understand God's Word and God's will. You know, the way to say it is really that the Spirit is helping us to know God through His Word. That's what He's doing in our lives. Well, we might know a lot about God. We might know a lot about what God wants us to do. But I think we all know that so often we know a lot and we don't do it. All this that we know about God just stays up here and it doesn't actually change our life. And for Paul and for God, that kind of disconnect, that kind of disconnect is wrong. What we believe and know should directly change how we live. And Paul shows this. He prays that the Colossians would know God's will so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. That's the connection. You need to know God's will so it changes how you live. And the way Paul says we live or walk is in a manner worthy of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our lives, our lives are living up to in a way, living up to our Savior and our King. We are loving the one who loved us first. We are serving the one who gave everything to serve us. We are obeying the one who actually obeyed in our place. Our lives are worthy of our Savior. Now Paul adds that that kind of life, that kind of life will be fully pleasing to Jesus Christ. The more like Christ we actually are, the more Christ himself is pleased with us. Remember the goal. We are made like Christ. But again, what does this kind of life look like? What does it mean to live a life that's pleasing to Jesus Christ? In verses 10 to 14, Paul then gives us descriptions of what that life looks like. And they fit the what, the how, and the why of living God's way. Verse 10, Paul starts with the what of living God's way. He says that that kind of life means we are bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's actually a very simple definition, really, of sanctification. Our growth in holiness is a growing in our doing, and it's a growing in our knowing. Let's just start with the doing first. Paul says that that looks like bearing fruit in every good work. You know, fruit is a very common picture in the Bible of obedience. Jesus says in John 15, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be. My disciples. I think that picture is helpful, the picture of bearing much fruit. Because if you look at a healthy Christian, it's like looking at at an apple tree at harvest time. Those branches of our lives should be ripe with fruit, just full up of obedience to God. And Paul goes out of his way to point out that that obedience is actually in every good work. Paul's giving us a picture of completeness there. Every good work. If we're honest with ourselves and we want to look at that tree image again, you know, sometimes we've got some, some pretty bare branches in our lives, places where we aren't actually doing God's will. Sometimes also, this is true for all of us, we may look at areas where, you know, there's I'm doing well, I can see fruit, but there's always, always, always room for more. Always in our Christian life, we can grow in our obedience and in our repentance with God. But Paul doesn't just focus on the doing. Sometimes we do that. We focus on what we need to do for God. But Paul says we also need to grow in knowing God. This is really important. He says that we are meant to increase in the knowledge of God. Paul is just saying that this is describing our communion with God. Not Not just knowing facts about God but growing in our relationship with God. That that kind of growing is actually really a major part of our sanctification because being conformed to Christ, being conformed to the image of God's Son, means that actually we're being conformed to Him in His relationship with His Father. Now don't worry, I'm not saying we become divine or anything like that, but we are able more and more to have a deep close relationship with God, just like the Son has with the Father. If I can just point out a danger here in our sanctification, I do I do really think that sometimes we can make knowing God less important than doing what God wants us to do. Okay, We kind of divide those things, and one seems to be more, more important than the other. Let, let me show you what I mean. Do you ever find yourself reading a passage of Scripture looking for the applications first? Now, I find myself doing that. I've been reading in the book of Romans and I, I'm reading this passage and I, I catch myself looking first for the applications. What, what do I need to do? How do I need to change? What, what's coming? Instead of actually just sitting there for a little bit, instead of just sitting there and being amazed at what God has done and taking those words on the page and praising him before I ever start applying it to my life. When we're doing that, when we're just looking for what God wants me to do, we're missing the real depth and the joy of what it means to know God and to increase and to grow in our knowledge of Him. So Paul then here is saying that the what of living God's way is growing in doing good works and it's also growing in knowing God. But he moves from the what, now in verse 11, to look at the how. How? How do we live in God's way? And the answer is very simple. It's God's strength. We live a life that is pleasing to God only, this is important, only by God's strength in us. Paul writes that we are being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. Now, the fact that Paul prays for that means that we don't have it. The fact that you need strength or I need strength means that we are weak. We pray for things that we do not have, that we have no strength in ourselves to do. We all know, I think by experience, that we do actually need God's strength to live the Christian life because what God calls us to is hard. Remember, all of our life, all of our life is meant to be committed to Christ and it's all of our life, width of our life, but also for the length of our life. Because this is lifelong obedience and fellowship with God. We don't get to take breaks. There's no vacations in the Christian life. But here's the encouragement from Paul. He knows what it's like, knows probably better than we do what it's like to live for Jesus Christ. But this is what Paul says God strengthens us to do this with all power, not just a little bit of power. Not even kind of 50% God and 50% us. No, all power, all the strength that we need to live faithfully for God is given to us by God himself. Paul's actually going to make a similar point at the end of this chapter, Colossians 1. Paul describes his own ministry of suffering and proclaiming, and he writes this, For this I toil, it's working hard, struggling with all my energy? No, with all his energy all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul says that this power, this power that we are given by God is according to his glorious might. That that is even more encouraging to hear because Paul is saying that the power and strength that God gives us is really the same power that God uses to accomplishing everything that he's been doing. It's the same power that God used in creation. It's the same power that God is using right now to keep everything going. And it's the same power that God used in redemption for us. In Ephesians 1, Paul prays that the the Ephesians would know the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That's similar to what Paul is saying here in Colossians. Kind of to use that truth. God uses his power to break the power of death and sin over Christ. He breaks that power and then he gives him kingdom and authority and power. And how much strength, how much might did that work require from God? One sense it's as simple as God speaking, but He's that powerful, that kind of strength of God to raise Christ from the dead, and to actually have Him seated in the heavenly places, ruling. The, the The amount of that power is just is absolutely unimaginable to us. We couldn't do anything close to that, no matter how hard we tried. And God uses, God uses that same glorious might to get you from here all the way to heaven. And he does this because we're in Christ. He is at work strengthening you because we are in Christ. And he has used his power for Christ using his power for you. Now Paul has a specific application in mind really when he's talking about God's might here in verse 11. He says that this glorious might is at work in us for all endurance and patience. God's power is producing something. And it's producing it's producing endurance and patience. And did you catch that little word again? All. All endurance and patience. Paul means that God strengthens us with all of his strength, with endurance and patience for every situation. Every situation. You know, some of us in this congregation, you know, we have some pretty serious ongoing physical issues, physical illnesses. We know that, right? God's power for you is sufficient in a situation like that, where the pain doesn't go away, where the headaches don't just stop, where there's getting older, the aches and pains of life. God's strength is sufficient for our physical needs. But all of us actually here face difficult, draining situations as we serve God. We feel it when there's the persistent sin of others, when people are sinning against us. Or or we can feel how hard it is when we're fighting our own sins or just hard providences that God brings into our lives. And yet God promises here that he's going to be the one to cause us to persevere. He's the one giving us the strength for endurance and patience in whatever he himself brings us into. That is such a huge encouragement, again, to see that what God calls us to do and where he calls us to be, he gives us exactly what we need in each and every one of those situations. That's really the how, then, of the Christian life. How can we do this? Because God's at work strengthening us. But we also see, finally, the why of living God's way in verses 12 to 14. And when I say the why of living God's way, I don't mean why we should do this, why we should live God's way. I mean, why are we even able to live God's way? Why are we even able to please God and to obey him? And the answer is the gospel. That's where Paul ends this passage. Paul writes that we live a life that's pleasing to Christ when we live with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance in the saints in light. Just a, just a quick note, you may have noticed there that I put with joy, I connected that to giving thanks. You may look in your translation and see you know, some translations take with joy, with patience and endurance. Both are, po- are possible, but I looked at this passage this week, it made more sense to actually take joy with thanksgiving, as we thank God for his salvation. Now, Paul shows us that our lives are meant to be Lives of thanksgiving for what the Father has done for us. And actually in verse 12, Paul has a specific focus in mind. He's looking at the Father's adoption of us. We are now able, Paul says, to share in the inheritance of the saints. Now, if, if you can share in the inheritance, that means we're, parts of, we're part of God's people. God has brought us into his family of saints. The Father has adopted us, and that inheritance that he promises, that inheritance is now ours. And that inheritance is nothing less than Christ and all the riches of Christ, Christ and all that he has, is promised to us. Really, truly, perfection. Are you going to be perfect? Yes. Are you heading there now? Yes. Are you going to have perfect communion with God? Yes. Are we going to have eternal life? With God? Yes. Are we going to have Christ himself? Yes. That inheritance is ours. None of those things, though. None of those things are ours by right. No. The Father has to qualify us. He has to take us, children of wrath, and change us to be children of grace, his children of grace, and brothers and sisters with Christ. Now, Paul says that that work that work that the Father has done in us is actually because he has placed us in the kingdom of our Savior. Paul says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, I was thinking this week, I, I always like uh, reading books about kind of dramatic rescues. And maybe it's the SAS or Navy SEALs or when there's this dire situation and they go in and they get the people out and everybody's safe. And we read those and we think, wow, it's so amazing. This is kind of like God's rescue operation here in verses 13 to 14, but it is so much greater than anything we've ever read about, anything we've ever really experienced in our lives. This is God's rescue operation where he takes his people out of the domain of darkness. Out from under Satan, he breaks that power and he brings us now into the kingdom of his beloved Son. Part of the greatness of God's work there is that we belong to that domain of darkness. Each one of us is born there, we live there, and we like it there. From time to time, we we may struggle with sin and we say, there's so much suffering in the world, or "I, I see problems with myself, But we do not want to turn to Christ. We want to live in that darkness. And God doesn't give us that option, though. When we are His people, when God has chosen us, then He comes to where we are and He grabs us and He takes us out. He doesn't just let us go then. No, even better, He puts us in the kingdom of His beloved Son. He's actually taking us out of that place of sin and misery with the worst possible master, Satan. And he's bringing us into the best possible place, the place of blessing with the best possible master we could ever hope for, Jesus Christ. Those blessings we have, we have from his son, his beloved son, who's our king. We have redemption. We have the forgiveness of sins. And everything else that flows from that. And that points to how hard and how costly it is for us to be brought out of that domain of darkness, to be in the kingdom of His beloved Son, and now to be able to serve Him. To make that rescue happen comes at the cost of God's own Son, Jesus Christ. The cost to enter Jesus' kingdom is Jesus' own life. Just think about it, that Jesus chose. Jesus chose to die for us in our sin. He chose to do that. We didn't deserve that. We're rebels, but he brought us to be subjects at the cost of his own life. Do you really believe? Do you really believe what Paul says here? This is the basis of everything else he said, that God has saved us. So you think about yourself now, as you think about people you know, are we actually in Christ's kingdom? Are we there? If you say to somebody else, obey God, do these things, live a life pleasing to Him, they're not in His kingdom. That is the worst possible news you could ever give them. Try harder. No. Start here with the gospel that God saves you so that now, so that He can be be at work in you To serve Him. The gospel, that free offer of forgiveness through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that powers everything else that we are doing in the Christian life and that God calls us to in the Christian life. Just one final encouragement here is that these verses are clear, that our salvation is God's work from first to last. Did you notice looking at these verses, um, Paul is praying for God's work. We pray again because we are powerless and God is powerful. It's true, we must be living for Christ. Paul makes that clear here. That's very active. We actually need to seek to know God's will. We need to bear fruit in obedience. We need to grow in our knowledge of Christ through our relationship with Him. We need to ask for God's strength. We need to be thankful. But we are living for Christ in those ways. Because God is the one at work in us, God's power that rescued us is that same power that is using now to remake us. Let me close with just one brief application here. I would encourage each one of us to grow in prayer and to pray like this. Pray with these words. These are God's priorities for us. You know, don't get me wrong, okay? God deeply cares for all of our needs. We need to pray for one another, body and soul, because that's how much God loves us. But I'm afraid that we quickly lose focus actually on spiritual needs, on so many of the things that God actually wants for us, that God won for us in Christ, and that God is actually giving us. And I would challenge each one of us here to pray for others and ourselves using these priorities and even using these words. Start here, maybe just take take a phrase at a time. And when you pray through the prayer list for the church, pray these things for that family. Pray that they would know God's will, that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will for them in their specific situation, as they're facing temptations, as they're facing opportunities to serve God. Pray that they would know God's will. You can do that for any part of this prayer, but take it and pray those things. These really are lifelong prayers as well. Don't just stop. Once you get through the prayer list, you know, and then, all right, now I'm good. Now I can pray for other things. Paul continually prays for these things, and we can as well. These are lifelong prayers. Just think about the privilege also. Think about the privilege that we have to pray this way for one another. God really does use our prayers to cause one another to grow. He doesn't have to do that. He can work in whatever way he chooses, but he chooses to work through your prayer and through my prayer for one another. See, the Colossians, their growth, their growth is actually coming through Paul's prayers on their behalf. And our growth, any growth that we have, is going to come through our prayers to a powerful God for one another. And just finally, as we pray for one another in this way, take comfort. It it can seem like the task is so big, It can seem like the needs are so large and I don't even know what to say or how to start or I just feel like I'm never going to be good enough. You know what? You're not. You and I are never going to be good enough. But you know what? God himself is actually at work through our prayers and way beyond our prayers. Romans 8, likewise, I love this verse, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What a truth right there, that we are praying to God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit is actually helping us to pray for the things that He knows that we need, and He knows that the Father is going to give us. What a truth, and what an encouragement as we come to pray before our Father, for our brothers and sisters. Amen. Let's pray together now for one another and for his word. Lord, we know that what we are looking at in this passage is your work. You are the one who is at work in our lives to be doing these things to help us to know your will, help us really to know you, to bear the fruit of obedience, to know, to know you, to be growing in so many ways with your <coughs> power And Lord, we are so thankful that the reason we can even be here doing these things is because you've saved us. Lord, this is your work from first to last. And even as we obey your commandments to serve you, we pray that you would give us more of your power, more of your strength, more of your love to do the very thing that you ask us and command us to do. Thank you so much for the life, death, resurrection, and reign of our Savior And Lord, we pray that even as we pray for growth, that we would pray for glory, both for your glory now and that we would join you in glory soon when you return. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.